0: Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. He is more than enough. We're going to find ourselves in situations in life that we may not understand, but God God will always be the answer to any question we have. We can turn to God. He'll provide us with the answers, and he will be there for us. He will never leave you or forsake you. Hallelujah. God is good. God is good. Turn to a neighbor and give them a greeting and, and a big smile. Well, we're going to do a communion service this evening, so what I'm going to do is um, we are going to – I'm going to just discuss communion with, with the church for a minute, so you may be seated. I'm not going to open with any, any particular scripture, but I'm going I'm to go into directly what is communion, what is, what is it about, and why do we do it, and what does it mean. So <clears throat> I think there will be at least a couple little segments in here that somebody's going to glean a little information from that maybe we didn't know before. Uh, there's some questions I've had in, with certain terms or terminology um, and I'm going to try to clarify if anybody has questions on that hopefully we can do that at this time as well <coughs> we're going to also have some time of prayer uh, before we take the communion together as, as a body um, and also so parents if you have small children and uh, it's, you're going to be the one that's going to be ensure um, if they have the Holy Ghost it's perfectly fine for them to have communion if not Probably is best if they abstain from the uh, communion. So um, we'll we'll get right on that on that when um, the ushers come out and hand out the communion. Things. So what I want to talk about is communion. Uh, it's commonly referred to or known as the communion of saints, and that's a that's a term that it's gotten from. In history, it's been around for many many you know centuries. And the, what is the communion of saints? Well, I. I borrow a little bit from, from John Huffman. He did a series on, um, on the communion of saints, and he breaks it down really nicely. So communion, just what is it? Communion, the, Greek, the word in Greek is koinonia, is the word. And a lot of you have heard that word before. Um, I know there's a coffee shop named that somewhere around here, not too, <laughs> not too far. But um, that's a word many have heard, many maybe have not heard. Koinonia. The word means partnership. Fellowship, relationship, it involves the activity and experience of coming together around a common commitment. It's a word used frequently throughout the New Testament. Paul addresses believers in Corinth declaring, God is faithful, by him you were called into the fellowship, the koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. This word koinonia is one of the richest words in the Greek language. Long before it became associated with Christian vocabulary, it was used extensively by Greek writers, describing any partnership, any fellowship, any activity, any experience or relationship in which the people come together. The essential meaning of the word is togetherness. That's what it's talking about. It's togetherness. It was regularly used to describe the marriage relationship. Aristotle calls marriage a koinonia, a fellowship, a partnership. It was regularly used to describe a business relationship. In one legal document, a man denies that he has any koinonia with his brother. There was no business partnership. To frame this in a positive context in a positive context, A business relationship in which two people would pool their resources to work together for common profit and common good would be seen as a communion, a koinonia, or partnership. It describes a partnership in education. Plato, in his classic, The Republic, describes an ideal state in which men and women equally share in the common way of life. In the ancient world, Women were uneducated and secluded. Plato's vision is of a state where men and women will share not only in equal opportunity of education, but in privileges and responsibilities of the body politic. So it was a more true form than what was actually being practiced in their in their modern time. And we can see how far we've come today. Things have really come a long ways, and I, I'm grateful for that. <coughs> It's described, it describes the social life of the community. Plato goes on to note that in dealings between citizens, injuries are likely to occur, or disagreements is what they're saying. Society has to develop a community life to handle disagreements, problems, injustices. They are part of normal human interaction. There's also a political wor- wor- word. This is also a political word. The state is a fellowship in which people must learn to work and act together in common unity. I mean, you can probably see why I'm kind of talking about some of this right now, because we see there's a lot going on in our own country right now. Just There's such division, and this is never to be the state of the church. I will tell you that right now, folks. This is never, ever to be the state of the church. We should be in koinonia. We should be in agreement. We should be in partnership we need to be in agreement with one another. But there is there's difficult things happening right now. The state is, is a fellowship in which people must learn to work and act together in common unity. They must see a larger interest than that of their own particular clan or village. The state is a fellowship in which certain laws and obligations are accepted in order that life may be fuller and freer. It is used in the international sense Koinonia is an alliance of people who have a common goal and a common mind and work together in international community that involves alliances that protect an entire geographic area from those who would threaten by trying to expand an empire into that area. So when we think of this, we could think of the global church, not just the local church. We are the local church, this is the local church, but we are part of a greater church, which is the the global church. And and we do we should be in harmony with the global church. the the local church should be in harmony with the with the global church. It's also a word in which expresses the essence of friendship. Where there is no koinonia, no fellowship, there can be no friendship. There can uh, the two people have to learn how to share. Each has more. By giving to the other, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can, can you see all the various usages of the word communion, making richer our understanding of it from the biblical perspective? You see this word with all of its richness used to describe the church of Jesus Christ, the gathered people who are brought together with a deep sense of fellowship, of partnership, of relationship. So that is the communion or the koinonia. What, it, what are saints? What is the second part of the communion of saints which we're gonna partake, participate in? The saints, well, we, we know that we refer to the people within the church as saints. Um, I don't say, well, hello, St. Brennan, or Brenson. How are you today, Saint? We don't, that's, not, that's not the way we do that, but I'm gonna explain a little bit of what we mean by that and why do we use that, that term and, and why does it it does apply to each and every one of us It should apply to each and every one of us. <clears throat> the Greek word translated saints is hagioi hagioi This comes from the Greek word I, I actually studied how to pronounce that word so I I'm, I'm think i'm getting it right uh, there This comes from the Greek word for holy. It is related to the word sanctified or sanctification so what we're go- what we're about to do is is Partake in a holy observance, a holy, um, a holy act is what we're going to be participating. A sanctified act, something that we do for a specific purpose, not something that we do lightly and just. You know, I, I, I be honest, I've been to churches that that do communion every single service, and I, I, I don't understand why uh, it's, it's not biblical. But the Bible says, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have communion every service either. But it should be done properly. So we have to discern how we, how we take communion and how we, how we go about that. <clears throat> we observe this with some degree of frequency in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth these words. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ. So a key part of being a saint is somebody who's sanctified to Christ, somebody who you have basically, it's saying that you have set your life apart to, to God's use, to God's desire for, for him and him alone. You serve one master, and that's Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no other. We have to understand that's, that's very important, and we have, to, we have to keep that in our minds as we go through um, Certain, certain rituals or, or, or aspects of, of exercising our beliefs uh, who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, Hag- Hagioi, <laughs> that's a tough word for me, Hagioi, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians um, 1, verses 2 through 3. The word saint throughout history has taken two types of meaning. One type of meaning is evidenced by our own immediate recoil at the thought of someone, that someone might refer to us as a saint. Um, And that's, I mean, I, I think back to when I first got into church, and I just, like, why are you calling that person a saint? That is just strange, or it's, it's kind of a little bit odd. But really, I'm going to explain to you what that's all about. Um, because we're not referring to him as a saint, as in sainthood. Um, we are familiar with Saint Matthew, Saint Mark, Saint Luke, Saint John. We are aware that there are particular persons throughout history who have been elevated to sainthood by the Pope. Some of these canonized ecclesiastically because of the fact that they were martyrs people who are known for heroic virtue and performance of specific miracles. Mother Teresa is an example of one of the most widely known people in recent history, elevated to sainthood. Who of us here today would be presumptuous enough to put ourselves in a league, in her league of of godliness, self-sacrifice, and service to the poorest of the poor? I don't see myself in her league, and I doubt that you do either. Who of us would put ourselves in that league? So we're not declaring that we're saints, that we're, we should be elevated to a particular position in heaven or, or whatever the Catholic Church believes. That's not what it is, but that is one interpretation of the word being used as the saint. Even though we acknowledge that there are those persons of particular distinction who are known in some Christian religious traditions to be saints, you and I must come to a more profound understanding of sainthood. Saints are not just those who have the word saint prefix to their names. Saints are the persons who are the Haggai, Haggai, the people of the church of Jesus Christ, who have repented of sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. The Apostle Paul addresses this in a most earthly way in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He notes that every sinner who is saved by God's grace is a saint. That person is in the process of being transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. The process is called sanctification. None of us have fully arrived, but we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are different as a result of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Um, And we're not going to get into sanctification or any of that. We're going to stick to what we're talking about right here, uh, which is being a saint of God. When you and I come together in the fellowship of believers, there is no pecking order, there's no hierarchy. We are all saints. Individually, I could address you by your first name adding the word saint to that name. Collectively, we are seen by God and should be seen by each other as saints. So we are. But we also, in our apostolic tradition, we call each other brother and sister, which is what we truly are, brothers and sisters in Christ as well. You can be both. You can be a saint of God and a brother and a sister in Christ as well at the same time. So the communion of saints, what does this mean, the communion of saints? We now put the two Greek words together, koinonia and hagioi. This literally means the fellowship of saints together. This has uh, two primary dimensions to it. First, we have communion with god the basis of our fellowship as saints is our individual and mutual relationship with god through jesus christ as well as our relationship with each other the communion of the saints is based on our fellowship with god the church becomes just another community organization if the fellowship is not based on jesus christ so that we are not of this world we are in this world but we are not of this world we, we're not to be like any other organization. We are, we are, uh, we are based upon our belief in Jesus Christ, and, and we anticipate his return. Um, there is, there's so much more to it. Uh, we, we should never be compared to just any uh, organization out there, like the Elks Club or the VFW or whatever it is, you know, City Hall or whatever you want to call it. We need to understand that we are, we are as a church, we are consecrated. We are separated from this world. The name church, the ecclesia, is the called out ones. We are called out of the world. We are called out of the world and into Christ. Out of the world and into Christ. So let us take some time. Okay, well, what we're going to do now, that's talking about what communion and saint is. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward right now at this time. And they're going to come up and they're going to pass out our our communion for us. So I'll give them a minute to do that. So did that answer anybody's question about why we call each other saints in church? Anybody? I hope so. I mean, I kind of knew, but it's nice to know the, the technical aspect. I'll take one. So go ahead and just take these now, and um, it has the bread is on top of the juice. So you don't have to open it up yet because, as I said, as I mentioned, we're going to pray. We're going to pray before we we do the communion, before we take this communion. So as they're passing this out, I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, book 11, verses 17 through 30. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and the other, another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat this my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, and many sleep. So what it's saying is we want to ensure that we can come before God and we can pray and we can repent of anything, of any sins that we have. Um, And we're going to do that right now before we um, take this this communion. So let's take some time to to pray and repent. Let's stand, if you you will. Um, And we're going to pray. And then after we're done praying, we can open this up and then I'll I'll lead us in in taking the, of the community. Uh, let's let's pray and repent of sin that is either known or even unknown. Let's all lift our hands and let's pray right now. God, we love you, Jesus. We come before you, Lord. I want to discern this sacrament, God, in, in with your mind, God. I want to do it in in accordance with your spirit, Jesus. Keep us all tonight, God. Help us to repent of our sins. Help us to stay on the path of righteousness, Jesus. Help us to follow after you. I want to be found worthy in your sight and your sight alone, God. There's nothing more important in this world than you, Jesus. I give my life to you. I give my, my, my very soul to you, Jesus. I give it all. I pray that you can forgive me of any trespasses I have, my God any trespasses i have against my neighbor any any sin that i have hidden in my mind in my life in my spirit that maybe i'm just unaware of god forgive me god i repent to you tonight i pray this that you re- hear these words in jesus name church said amen okay you can get your communion we'll do the bread first so just in case you I was about to do that myself. These are these are some tricky uh, new style. Jesus said, "Take, eat." This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it. In remembrance of me, All right. amen. Well, I guess the ushers will come by and pick up that. Um, you may be seated. I'm really happy that we're starting off this new year. And taking communion is, yes, we sing songs and we, 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 try, to, we try to usher in the spirit of God and his presence. But it's, it's something of a, I, I guess you could say a somber, a, a mindful or a thoughtful process. So when we do this, hopefully it's something that we can, we can think about and dwell on not just for these 20, 30 minutes we're going to be together here tonight, but we can think about it throughout the week and even further on. And we will, you know, we will take communion um, as, as uh, pastor directs us in the future. But um, I know that sometimes all of us are not going to be here and there's are somewhere out of town. And uh, like Caleb, he was excited to hear that we were having communion because he, he missed it last time. And that's, that's very good. I mean, you, you should desire these things. These things are spiritual things that that bring us closer to God, and they help us to to um, to be part of the koinonia, part of the fellowship, and part of one another. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to be long. Uh, I'm just going to. I'm going to read a little bit, a little story, uh, and it has a it has a good point that's related to what we're we're talking about here tonight, and. Uh, after that, um, I'm going to invite those of you, all of you, to come and, and pray and uh, come up into the altar and pray if you like, and, uh, and, that, that and then we're going to wrap, wrap things up. Um, cultural change. In a recent breakpoint commentary, Eric Metaxas says this. It was 1939, just before the outbreak of what would become known as the Second World War. Hitler was on the move. The dominoes were starting to fall the British government, facing what Winston Churchill would soon call an ordeal of the most grievous kind, needed to bolster the people's flagging spirits. So it began producing a series of propaganda posters. One of them, with a bold, red background, was to be used only in the event of an invasion. That invasion never came, and so the poster was never used. Yet this slogan on it has lived on, and it has particular relevance to our day. The slogan was this, keep calm and carry on. Ah, Isn't that kind of strange? I thought that was funny because you, you hear it a lot these days. They have keep calm and everything else. But this was the slogan, keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Now, let's face it, American society, while not facing an immediate existential threat, nevertheless faces cultural decay that is, directed, is a direct result of our lamentable rejection of the Judeo-Christian worldview. And I mentioned something about this last time I was up here speaking, and it's, it's, it's very true what, what's happening today. Um, I believe that it's, we're, we're nearing the end times. Um, God is, is separating the wheat from the chaff. It, we, are, we are living in the last days. We can, God could come. God could come at any moment, and I, I truly believe that. Whether it's the redefinition of marriage, continuing attacks on religious liberty, the relentless push to undermine human dignity and the protection of the unborn, fears for what's ahead politically in this momentous election year, or whether it's concerns about North Korea, China, or Iran that are keeping you up at night, the fact is keep calm, and carry on. It's an appropriate watchword at this moment in American history. And I'm going to bring up a, a statement that I feel is relevant to this and was actually quoted to me on the telephone the other night, and that is, after this, live. Preached from Pastor Hood's sermon on Sunday. It really lines up almost directly with what's being said with the context of keep calm and carry on. We have to live our lives. We have to move forward. We have to do God's work. We're here for a reason. You're here for a reason. You're not here by accident, church. God needs you. God needs each and every one of you. God needs you, he needs me, but he also needs us because there's a saying that I used to say and I I believe it's very, very true. And the saying, it's, it's a teamwork kind of a saying, but it, it also applies to the church. And that is, uh, I don't know who, who said this before or where it came, came from, but the saying goes, all of us are one of us is not as strong as all of us. One of us is not as strong as all of us. And, and that's true, because n- not one single one of us is ever going to be stronger by ourselves, than when we are together with fellow believers and fellow, fellow saints, saints of God. None of us is as strong as all of us. And I've also heard it said, none of us is as smart as all of us. We need each other, we really do. We depend upon each other. The church is a body of believers. It's not individuals, it's a body of believers put together, fitly framed together. <laughs> It really is. But we have to remember, keep calm and carry on, and after this, live. And uh, when Pastor Hood, that gave me, he, he, he encouraged me, he, he and his family are the ones that are um, suffering through a very, very tragic uh, loss. And he assured me, he says, Brother Diaz, after this, I'm going to live. That's what he said. And he, you know what? That means that the, the pastor, he's, he stands behind what he's preaching in this pulpit. And there's nothing better than that. We need a pastor who stands behind his word, stands behind the word of God, stands behind this word right here. This, there's nothing more important than that. And we have that. We have that in our pastor. And he encur- little did he know, he was encouraging himself, I'm sure. But he encouraged me because it's, it's tough to have to, to deal with with anybody who's suffering loss. And we've all had some loss in the last year of some sort or another, either friends, relatives, family. Now, of course, as followers of the Lord, we must keep calm and carry on. It's our duty. If this moment has taught us anything, it's that cultural power is fleeting. In the old days, calling yourself a Christian was a sure route to respectability. What, whatever you believed in your heart, as long as you proclaim yourself to be Christian, you were accepted as a Christian. These days, people don't even want to proclaim themselves as Christians. Which there's some that do. I'm, I don't want to overgeneralize, but more and more fewer are turning away from God. But that's okay because the church, the true church, is not going away. The true church is going, is getting stronger. The true church is growing. The Apostolic Church is growing. The Apostolic Pentecostal faith is the fastest growing religious. Denomination in in the world currently, and Christianity is still growing. If you, uh, I read something just today, um, that was talking about um, Christianity in China, and how I, I'm not sure exactly how long it was, but maybe ten or twenty years ago, there was maybe thirty million people adhering to Christianity, or thirty million Bibles. They said thirty million Bibles were printed in the Chinese language. Uh, which they have many languages, I believe. But um, but they say today that China is experiencing a revolution where they say by the year 2030 that they expect 200 million people to be following the Christian faith in China. So don't... Because your neighbor chooses not to believe in Jesus Christ does not mean that this world does not believe in Jesus Christ. <laughs> 200 million would put would put China as the largest Christian population on the face of the earth, and that's just in a few short years from now. Um, you could look up those statistics. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not standing by them 100%, but they're, they're in the ballpark. Um, that's just by what I recall from reading today. <clears throat> While that's still true in some quarters of being respected for being a Christian, now lots more people look on matters of faith with a jaundiced eye. And growing numbers of them aren't interested in old American ideal of religious tolerance. Yet for all these unhappy and undeniable trends, we still called we are still called, you guessed it, to keep calm and carry on. We must keep standing for righteousness. Come what may. God remains on the throne. Church, God, I, I'm, I'm, if that's the only message I have tonight about all this is that God is is in control. God is on the throne. (laughs) He will never fail us. He's never lost a battle. His train still fills the temple. Our God is awesome. And and we are in the right place and you are in the right place. God brought you here, each and every one of you. So let's stand uh, around the sanctuary. If you'd like to come and play a little, uh, Branson, that'd be great. Um, We're just gonna take a moment we're going to come together as a community, a communion of fellowship together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, if you're not comfortable to come up to the altar, that's okay. Um, pray where you are. And, uh, but I encourage you, let's, let's, let's join with somebody if you can. If you can find a friend or loved one or someone where it's appropriate interlock your arm or put your arm around that person and let's let's pray let's pray for for all those needs that we we prayed for earlier and let's continue to, to hold pastorhood and sisterhood up in our in our prayers daily until until they get through this this trial that they're in let's take a moment to just pray and, and, and pray that we could have a year of blessing a year of goodness a year of, of love, joy, peace, of, of all the fruits of the Spirit that God can come and minister to us and through us. Help us, God. Help us to be used by you, Jesus. I want to win a soul to you this year, God. I don't want to just win one soul. I want to win more than one soul, God. I want to, I want to be a, a beacon of light, Jesus. Help me to live my life in such a way that I could inspire someone to just to come through those doors and and give you a chance, God. It doesn't take you any time to to change someone's life, God. You could do it in the blink of an eye and you already know the beginning from the end, Lord. I praise you. I love you. I worship you, Jesus. Stay with us today. Stay with us this evening, God. Stay with each and every one who's near and far tonight, God. I pray that you can continue to to give blessings, and, and to prosper those that love you, God, and that serve you, Jesus. Complete this work that you have begun in me, Lord. I know that I'm an unfinished product, God. I know that I'm just, I'm not even, maybe I'm not even halfway there yet, but Lord, continue to work in me, continue to work in, in my family, and my loved ones, God, in my relationships inside here in the church, and also in my relationships outside of the church God I need you Jesus I need you to lead me in all the things that I do Lord in everything that I do God help me to magnify you help me to, to build and, and to enrich the kingdom of heaven God that which is eternal that which is going to exist eternity I need you Lord this church is for you Jesus we are with you each and every day, God. Let us move forward in this new year. Let us move forward. Let us, let us hear your voice, God. Let us cry out to you humbly that we can, we can receive from you the strength that we need to overcome any obstacle that may be placed in our way, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I love you, my God. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you want to continue praying, just continue to pray right now and as the musician plays.